I read a couple articles this week about DNA testing. One of the titles was DNA Testing Unlocks Incredible Family Stories. Another one, a little more personal, says, I took a DNA test and found a whole new family. I did a little research and found out that DNA testing is quite popular in this country. In fact, over 30 million people have taken a DNA test. And there's lots of places you can do them. Um, Ancestry DNA, there's lots of places you can go to do that. And perhaps some of you have done so. Um, So many stories that people tell, a lot of them about finding their biological fathers, probably the most popular one. And a lot of people, as I read their story, they go halfway through their life, they find out that they don't really know who their true father is, and they seek to find it out. And there's lots of other stories. One in particular is by a woman by the name of Catherine McDonald. One Christmas, uh, her dad decided that she was going to give as a present to everyone a personal DNA testing. And he wanted them to find out a little bit more in detail about their ethnic background, about the origins and kind of their ancestry of where they all came from. He thought he knew the answer, but he wanted to find out some more about their ethnic roots. And so Kat, like she likes to go by that, Kat had been told that she was Irish, and she never really doubted it because she had very bright red hair, very pale skin, and she thought, yeah, that kind of fits that I'm Irish. But she got the uh, results back from the test, and it was astonishing to her. She was 75% Norwegian, 25% of other stuff like German and a couple of other things, and she found out that she was 0% Irish. She wasn't Irish at all. And so as she was looking over the results of her DNA test, she called her dad on the phone and she said, Dad, you're going to be shocked. I'm not even Irish. She goes, I don't know where this red hair comes. He was totally shocked as well until she said to him, as she read down the list a little further on the results, she said, I have an exact paternal match. But the problem is, Dad, it's not with you. He did not even know that he was not her dad. The little more research, and she found out the man's name, who the DNA match was, and they looked up his name, and then she called her dad again and said, Dad, this is his name. He goes, I know him. Early on in our lives, this guy was a friend of our family. And so now they kind of knew where she really came from. And so she decided to know her father, her real father, a little bit more. So she found out where he worked and a little bit about him. And she drove halfway across America to find him, to find out this, that he was a billionaire CEO. She wrote him a letter. He got the letter. She tried to go in to see him. He would not see her. He would not talk to her. He would not meet her. He said, thank you for letting me know. And that was it. finding out your true dad for her wasn't that great. And a lot of people, a lot of people take the testing. They find out who their real father is. And some are happy and some are sad, as you can imagine. The Apostle John in our text is going to give each one of us a spiritual DNA test this morning. Now, I've said throughout this series, you know, this book, 1 John, functions on dualisms opposites of one another, things that are in contrast, antithetical to one another, and we've listed them, light versus darkness, life, death, love, hate, 
truth, lie. John uses them all to describe our spiritual life and condition as children of God. But he also says today, he says there's this dualism that he hasn't covered up until now. And he says, plainly, he says, you are either a child of God or you are a child of the devil. I read it over and over again. There is no neutrality. There is not a little bit of both. There is not a little of this or a little of that. You either have divine DNA or you have devilish DNA. John writes it so clearly and so frankly. You know why? Because he doesn't want you, like so many other people who take physical DNA tests, he doesn't want you going through half or most of your life thinking that this is your father when indeed perhaps... There's another father that you had that you didn't realize. So he wants us to know with certainty which spiritual family do you really belong to. That's what he wants you to do as you leave here today. He wants you to take the spiritual DNA test and he wants to say, based on this test, who is my spiritual father? Well, what is the test? Let me give it to you in a sentence. What you do reveals who you are. Let me say it again to you. What you do reveals who you are. John starts off, if you'll read verse 4 with me, and he uses this little word, everyone. Everyone is a Greek word, and it's translated everyone, sometimes depending on your version, whoever, sometimes in a negative sense, same word, but in a negative sense it says no one. But in all those times, it is the word everyone. Verse Four, verse six, twice, verse seven, verse nine, verse 10. You can see them all there. And see, this is a DNA test that's for everyone. And it really doesn't matter who you are. This morning, if you are rich or poor, whether you're black or white, whether you're young or old, whether you're religious or you're non-religious, whether you're good, you consider yourself good, or perhaps not so good, this is the DNA test for everyone. And everyone needs to take it. There's only one test. But there are two results, two results, and you know them already. The result is you're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. So let's unpack each one of them this morning and tackle them one at a time. And as I'm talking, as we're going through the Bible verses, I want you to do this. I want you to be honest with yourself. You know, we are not a lot of times. I want you to be honest with yourself as you take the DNA test and you start looking at the results, and you start matching your life up with what the Word of God says, I want you to be honest and see who really is your spiritual father. So let's take a look at them. He uses, in our passage, the word children, but he's been using it throughout the book. Chapter 2, verse 1, 12, 13, 18, 28. Our chapter, verse, chapter 3, verse 1, 2, 7, 10. Over and over, he keeps using children as a, as a description of these people. Why? Because he wants you to think about this. If you are God's child, and I'm calling you that, there will be certain traits, we would say. There will be certain things, quote-unquote, that are passed down spiritually if you really know God and if you really are one from the devil's family. But notice I said this. See, what you do reveals who you are. See, doing demonstrates who's your spiritual dad. See, your lifestyle, not an event, not a one-time thing, your lifestyle demonstrates what family you really belong to. And to demonstrate that very clearly, and I want you to follow me, a little mini Bible study inside our sermon today, 
turn not in 1 John, but hold your finger here and turn back to the Gospel of John. Because I believe John, who wrote both of these books, gets his information and the way he writes this paragraph from when he personally heard Jesus talk to the religious leaders and some of the Jewish people in John 8. Let's take a look at it, and I want to show you, and please follow very carefully, because I want to build an argument, and I want to show you how powerful the statement is, what you do reveals who you are. John 8, 29. We're going to start with Jesus, because John always does. To find out what God is like and what you should be doing to be like him always starts with Jesus. So let me start with verse 29 of chapter 8. And if you're taking notes or you have a pen or pencil, here's what I want you to do. I want you to circle the word do in all of these. Do or practice. Because in 1 John and in Gospel of John, they're translated in English do or practice, but it is the same original Greek word. So let me show you what I mean. Verse 29. Jesus says, And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. Watch, for I always, circle it, do the things that are pleasing to him. So there's the standard. When, if you have divine DNA, and Jesus did because he was equally God, right? If you have divine DNA in that sense, and Jesus did, here's what proves it. Who you are, Jesus is God, is revealed by what you do. He always does, see it, the things that please him. Verse 34, and the rest of the verses are in contrast, and that's the way John set it up. He wants you to see antithetically that if you don't do the things that please the Father, and you don't do like Jesus does, it's because you have a different DNA. And he's going to tell you exactly, Jesus is, what that DNA means. Verse number 34, it says, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who does, there's our word translated, practices sin, is a slave of sin. So if you live a life that's constantly sinning and doing the same things over, and you have a habit of it, that's your lifestyle. Here's what he says, you're a slave to it. Keep building. Verse 38, I speak of what I have seen. See the contrast of fathers? Here's my DNA. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you circle it, you do what you have heard from your father. So there's a contrast, right? They think they know who their father is. They think they've taken the spiritual DNA test and that Abraham is their spiritual father. They think God is their father, but they're mistaken. Verse number 38 says... I'm sorry, verse 39. They answered him, Abraham is our father. They thought being Jewish was be enough to be right with God. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's, see, if you were Abraham's children, if you had his DNA, you were really from him, you were born of Abraham, here's what he says, ready? You would be, circle it, doing. Doing the works that Abraham, again, did. So if, here we go, ready? If you do what Abraham did, You are his child. See, what you do determines who you are. So if you really were his offspring, you would live how he lived, and you would do what he did. But they don't. Not at all, actually. Verse number 40 says, But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. So your response to Jesus and who he is and why he came and what he did speaks volumes about what you have in your true relationship, who your real father is. 
They didn't believe Jesus. They didn't trust that he was going to, they didn't trust in who he was. Look at the next verse, verse number 41. You are doing, see it again, you are doing the works your father did. They say to him, we are not born of sexual morality. We have one father, God. See, Abraham's our father. God is our father. And listen to this. I want to give you one more verse. Please follow. Verse 44. They thought Abraham was their father. They thought God was their father. But they were as wrong as you possibly could. And they have gone through a good part of their life believing a lie. Jesus tells them, let me tell you based on what you do and what you're like, who your father is. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer, which is why they're trying to kill him, crucify him, from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth because there is no truth. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. See, see, he's a liar, he's a sinner, and you're a liar. Why? Because he's your father. Do you see what Jesus is saying? Do you see what John wants us to know? He wants us to say this, what you do, and it doesn't matter who you are, no matter how long you've sat in a church, no matter how much you may think you know, or what you have told yourself is truly about your spiritual reality. Here's what he says, what you do reveals who you are, maybe better, whose you are. So let's little play a game. Let me illustrate it for her, make sure it gets deep down in this. Let's play a game. You tell me who I am. Okay, I drive a big, long red truck with hoses and ladders. I wear a protective helmet and clothes, and I fight to stop stuff from burning up. I am right. I am a fireman. I wear a protective hat and clothes. I drive a black car with all kinds of cool lights on it, and I fight to stop crime. Right, because... What I do determines who I am. Ready? I wear a protective helmet and I wear clothing, green clothing. I fight to stop people from scoring and I lose Super Bowls. <laughs> I am the Philadelphia Eagles, right? All right. See, because what you do reveals who you are. But what if I say, what if I say, I'm a firefighter, but I don't wear the helmet or the clothes. I don't ride on an engine, and I don't fight fires. But I say I'm a firefighter. Is it true? What if I have a really cool car, and I put some lights on it, and I buy one of those badges at the store, and I put it on here, and I, am I really a police officer? Should I be able to? Thank you. Am I really? No, I'm not. Why? Because it's not what I say that the DNA test is based on, is it? It's what I do. Doing. Practice. It's a Greek verb that is always in the present tense in our passage. And what it means is what you keep on doing. It's not one sin. It's not this sin. It's not even one really awful sin. It's a trajectory of your life. It's a pattern of your lifestyle. It's a practice. See, John wants you to know your practice reveals your paternity. Your deeds reveal your dad. Practicing sin is one option or practicing righteousness. It's not one, a mixture of the two. No, it's one or the other. So let me get really specific about what this paragraph is saying. And there's not just doing in general... There's one thing in particular. 
It's about your view and your response to sin in your life. That one thing alone speaks volumes about who you really are. Look at verses 4 through 6 with me. And I want to ask you a question. Are you casual about your sin? Because verse 4 says, go back to 1 John if you're not back there already. 1 John chapter 3, everyone who makes a practice of sinning is lawlessness. Everyone. Everyone, it says. In verse 6, he says, if you go on and you keep on sinning, then you don't, God is not abiding in you. See, people who know God, people who have taken the DNA test and have the DNA genes of God, if I can say it that way, see, they're not casual about their sin. They're serious about it. Is that you? Do you know the difference? See, I know how to ride a bike. I do. I've ridden bicycles many times, but it doesn't make me a cyclist. I don't have the helmet. I'm not in shape like that, even close. I have seen Dave LeBall in our church. He's not here today. He's told me he's ridden 40-some miles in a day. I know I've ridden at least 40 yards in a day. But see, he's a cyclist. He, you get the bike, and if you're serious, you say, oh, this is how big the frame is. I get a certain type of seat, and I've got water jugs and things that I do, and I've got lights on it. And I, you know, I'm ser- see, I have a bike, and I've ridden it. I'm not really serious about it. I'm pretty casual when it comes to my bike. See, I, I have jogged. I used to play sports. I've gone running. But see, I'm not a runner, Right? I went to England and one summer because my family lived there, and I was in England all summer. And for my soccer, when I went back to college, I was getting training. And so I thought, you know, I've trained myself all my life and ran a lot when I was younger. And I thought I was pretty good until my dad got a Scottish girl to train me. She was no more than 5'2", literally about 95 pounds. And I thought, what in the world could she possibly teach me? She's so little, and how could she... And still we, so, so we started running through the park. Around the park in the central area of London is five miles all the way around the outside. It's absolutely beautiful. And so we started to run. And so I had been a little while since I ran, so I wasn't running as fast as I you know, But she was running, and she was running backward the same speed I was running forward. <laughs> About a half mile into it, I was starting to get really tired. She was talking to me telling jokes, which I couldn't understand from Edinburgh's. Her accent was so strong. So at about a mile into it, I said, stop. Stop talking to me because I cannot breathe. <laughs> and I said, stop running backwards because people are seeing you and you're embarrassing me in public. She ran the marathon mile, each mile under six minutes. I had never run one mile under six minutes. You know what the difference was? She was serious about running. I have a very casual relationship with running. (laughs) So you can have a casual relationship with a lot of things in life, can't you? Hobbies, things, even people. But if you're a Christian, see, you cannot maintain a casual relationship with your sin. Why? Look at verse 5. Here's why. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. 
And there is no sin in him. You know why? Because you say you know Jesus. He came to take away. The word means lift up your sins. He took them off your back. He took the burden off of you. He changed your life. And he doesn't have any sin. So how can you maintain a life of sinfulness when you say, he died for me and forgave my sins, and he doesn't have any sin, and I know him, but I live the opposite of him? Do you see what John's saying? It can't be so. See, that's a casual relationship with sin. That's not a mark of true Christianity, see. What Jesus did changes what you do. We don't work our way to heaven. We don't do to merit God's favor. But let me tell you this. When we have God's favor and he's lavished on his grace on us, we will do differently. See, God is serious about your sins this morning. How serious? Well, incarnation serious. Jesus came manifested. He, God became a man. That's how serious about your sin was. How serious? Incarnation serious. Crucifixion serious. See, that's how bad off we are. That death, that kind of death by God's son was the only remedy for our sins. That's serious. Do you take your sin that serious? You know, you know this, it says in the verse that if you are a Christian, it says in the verse, look what it says. Verse 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. He's not saying that Christians don't sin. Read verse chapter 1 again. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So he's not saying, hey, once you become a Christian, you're perfect. Oh no, not at all. No, once you became a Christian, you are free. Free from the power of sin. It doesn't dominate you anymore. Romans chapter 6 and verse 9. It doesn't dominate you anymore. It doesn't have to, you don't have to choose that anymore. No longer does it dominate us. No longer are we slaves to it. But see, we're casual about it, some of us. When Jesus died for it and he has no sin and we're still casual, see, we practice it. Because we think that once we said the magic words and we said this or that or other and that makes us believers, then we, don't, we can live however he wants. And John says, not at all. And in fact, in the verse he says, don't, verse 7, little children, don't let anybody deceive you. You can't practice, you can't be in him and be in sin simultaneously. Let me say it to you very frankly. You can't abide in him and abide in pornography at the same time. You can't abide in him and abide in continual lifestyle greed and covetousness where money rules your life and things. You can't abide in him and abide in slander and gossip and talking behind people's back and saying things to slander or ruin them. You can't abide in him and abide in idolatry and keep loving things supremely above the infinite worth of God. You can't live a lifestyle about that and ever have any assurance of having eternal life. This is why a lot of people, and perhaps some here this morning, you lack assurance because when it comes down to it, your practice, there's something wrong with it. He's, John says this. You know how strong he says? If you keep on sinning, here's the reality. You haven't seen him and you don't know him. You can't say it any stronger than that. You know why? Because what you do reveals who you are. It's a relationship turn. Seeing him, knowing him, you say you have a relationship, but your life denies it, he says. That's what religious people do who come to church, perhaps on Sunday mornings at Faith Baptist Church. You see, they leave unaffected. They hear the word, but they're casual about it. 
because they're casual about their sin. They're, not, they're here at a religious duty, but they're see, they've never seen him or know him. So there's not really a relationship there, and their life proves it almost every day. It's a powerful passage. You know why? Because John doesn't flippantly use devil, the word devil, but he does twice in this passage. Twice. Because he wants you to know that this is about as important as it gets. You're either God's child or you're the devil's child. You're either of, of is the origin of source. Remember, he's either the source is God or the source is the devil. And here's how he tells us. Look at verses 9 and 10. You want to get the DNA, you get the paper back like Kathy McDonald, and you get the results back of your spiritual DNA test, and here's what it says on the top. He's not your dad, he is. And then they give you the DNA proof of it. So here's the results, ready? The results are this. Whoever does not practice righteousness doesn't know God. If you practice righteousness, you know God. If you love brothers, if you love the people, then you're of God. If you don't do those things, you are not of God. Those are the results. There's a vertical and a horizontal result. Let me ask you, what does your practice indicate? What does it say about you? Whose family spiritually are you really in? See, it's not what you say. It's not who you say is your father. It's what your life says about it. We're not saved by works, but if we are saved, there will be works to follow. Catherine McDonald, when she got the DNA test back, she was shocked. Will you be? 1 John 4, 17 says this, that you may have confidence on the day of judgment. Can you imagine going through your entire life, standing before God in the eternal judgment day, and you think that you have his DNA And he hands you the paper, and on it says, your father is the devil. An exact paternal match. You don't want to go through your whole life that way, do you? You don't have to, because John wrote this letter to people like us. He says this, you can know him. You can know that you have eternal life. You can live Not only with eternal security, but you can learn eternal assurance. You can know it. You can have confidence that when you leave this world, when you die and you take your last breath, that you will stand before God and he will say, welcome in my child. Because you put your faith and trust in Jesus alone. Not your good works, not your religiosity, not putting a few dollars in the plate, none of those things. But you recognize why he came. You know why he came? Because if you could get to heaven on your own, he would not have come. And he certainly wouldn't have died the way he did. But you can't because of our sin. You know why he had to come and you know why he had to die on that cross? Because it is our only hope of heaven. It's his death and resurrection. He paid for our sins. He took it away so he could change you. But hear me, the change does not start when you get to heaven. It starts now. You have, if you're a child of God, you have eternal life now. The question is, does it look like it? Is that your practice? Is that your lifestyle? What does your spiritual DNA say about you? Because what you do reveals who you are. Let's pray.
with every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, we're going to close the service in a few couple minutes, welcome in some new members to our church. I'd like to ask a question before we leave today. Are you confident? Does your life, by the grace of God, give you assurance that you know him? What does your spiritual DNA say about who you're, what spiritual family you belong to? Not what you say, not what you did sometime years ago, but what is your spiritual DNA say about you? With every head bowed and every eye closed, would there be some here today to say, Pastor Walker, listen, I don't even know for sure if I know God. I don't know if I die today. I don't know where I'd spend eternity. I really don't know. But I recognize that I can today. And I would love to. I would love to have someone take the Bible and show me today how that I can have the divine DNA of God. I can have eternal life. I can know forgiveness of sins. I can know it. I would love to have that. With no one looking, would you just raise your hand and I'll pray for you in a moment and I close. Just slip your hand up and then I'll put it back down and I'll pray for you as we close. Anyone? Thank you. Thank you for taking that evaluation thing at the beginning seriously. Anyone else? Perhaps with every head bowed and every close, perhaps you're here and you're a Christian. You are a child of God, but you have to say, Pastor Walker, listen. I know God. But I can tell you this, my life has been too casual, too casual about certain sins. And I need to make them right. I need to repent. I need to give them to God. I need to get forgiveness and live the life of freedom over sin by God's grace that he died that I could do. He died that I could do that. I, I want to live that way. I'm not. Some things really need to go. and Some changes need to take place in my life as a Christian. Please pray for me as well. Can I see your hand as well today? And I'll pray for you as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Balcony, main floor. Father, you've seen hands, and more importantly, you've seen hearts. And your word is powerful. It's alive, Hebrew says. And as you've opened up our hearts and minds today and showed us the truth of who we really are spiritually, I pray that for those who raise their hand, one in particular that needs to know you, I pray today that they stick around after the service and talk with me or someone here, that they would not leave this place until they know they have eternal life. For the many that raise their hand as children of God, but they know there's practices, things in their lives, sins that are going on that need to be forsaken. Father, I pray that you'll give them humility and brokenness, that today would be the day that they continue to live on in freedom through Jesus Christ and for his glory. And we'll thank you for these rich blessings in Jesus' name. Amen.